Hello, everybody. Welcome to Canines Talking Sense. I'm your host, Cameron Ford, broadcasting from out here in Las Vegas at the Ford Canine Training Center. So we have another fun episode all set for you guys. This one is a repeat guest, Pete Stevens. He is actually currently out here right now for our uh, canine cognition instructor and puppy cognition class. So he and I took this opportunity to sit down and have a fun conversation um, that will cover really everything in regards to his experience as a narcotics canine handler uh, during his time as a police officer. And he has worked uh, well over 20 years, so there's a lot of experience that he has uh, that he can share and talk about the mistakes he's gone through, lessons he's learned. So really fun episode. We're going to get into that in just a second. Um, just got back myself from doing some seminars around the United States, doing Odor Pays, which has really become popular. Um uh, it's a lot of fun to get out there and share some of this information with you guys. Um, just, it's a fun way to make sure that we are good at communicating to our dogs, understanding why uh, our dogs are doing things a certain way, and then how to really make odor the most important thing. So uh, we get a lot of emails about that. And if you guys want to host a odor pay seminar or any of the cognition seminars, you guys know how to get a hold of us. Just reach out to info at fordk9.com and we'll get back to you guys with what we have available so on and uh, discuss what seminar you want to do so moving on from that uh, as you guys have probably seen on social media we have got some new puppies here we have some really good ones we got in from england some uh, english springer spaniels uh, a working cocker spaniel we, of course, have Cora that we got, which is a Labrador from Logan House Kennels, my good friend Mike Suttle. Uh, she is a little powerhouse of a Labrador. Uh, we also have little cute canine Frank, another working Cocker Spaniel that we got here in the United States. And uh, those puppies keep us busy, no doubt about it. And I really enjoy your guys' feedback and what you guys like about uh, the dogs and what we're sharing. But our main goal with these puppies is to share the process that we do in raising dogs to go from puppy to a adult in detection work. Um, do all puppies work out? Nope. Just like everybody understands, uh, various things come up. Sometimes it's a medical issue. We just had one that we've raised for the past year, Rip. Um, really nice uh, Springer Spaniel. I mean, an amazing dog when it came to work, but he has got one femur slightly shorter than the other one, which disqualifies him from being a professional working dog. Um, we do have him available for adoption. If somebody would like to uh, take him on a great dog, great dog that lives in the house, ready to work, ready to do something. Um, seriously, if you guys are interested in canine rip, reach out to us at info at canine.com. Our goal is just to find him a great home uh, where he can enjoy doing some hunting, whether it be a sport, maybe doing DDT, the new detection dog sport that we have coming here to the United States, or something else. So uh, again, if you reached out to us regards to canine rip, uh, we would love to find him a great home. 
In addition to that, speaking of detection dog trials, DDT, we now have all of the rules, the different um, uh, guidelines for how to be a club, how to be a judge, how to be an instructor. Um, That is all now here in the United States. We have gone through it. We have now selected our national uh, DDT secretary. So we will have somebody that will be emailing all this information out to all those parties that have already gone to the website ddt.dog. That's for everything in North America, so United States and Canada. Um, If you haven't gone to ddt.dog, just go to that website, fill out the information of the things that you're interested in, and we will respond back to you as this information gets published so that way you guys can start proceeding with signing up for DDT, getting ready to have some fun in those competitions which is going to be a bit different than the typical scent work competitions that you guys have done already. This one's much more practical. Um, there'll be all the rules will be posted online. I won't get into it here because that's a whole nother podcast, which we just did with Georgie Armstrong. We covered some of that aspect. So if you haven't heard that podcast, go check it out. So um, I, of course, like every episode, I need to take a moment and thank our sponsors. We have, increased the number of sponsors now you guys have reached out to us and wanted us to share some great information so um, some of you guys have seen where i've made these posts recently on the get scent tubes these are the tubes that absorb odor so whether it be any type of substance this is really helpful for i would say the sar handlers um, absorbing some of the different types of uh, decomposition the get scent tubes are great if you're a narcotics handler Get scent tubes are great. You can use this for lowering your odor thresholds. Uh, A number of different things that you can do with a get scent tube that help you expand your dog's database of odor and odor thresholds. So get scent, which will be listed in the comments down below. Go check them out. Also, if you're looking to have a dog transported here in the United States and you can't use an airline, go check out Divine Canine. Dee is amazing at transporting dogs around the United States. She has transported a number of dogs for me over the past year. Every dog we get transported by her is bathed. It's in great condition. It's happy. She sends us progress reports throughout the entire trip. I mean, I could not be happier with her transport services. Go check her out. She's on Facebook under Divine Canine. And again, I will put a link in the show notes down below for you guys to go find her. Our newest sponsor, Leash and Harness Coffee. This is a coffee company by dog handlers, dog trainers. For us, they have amazing coffee, different types of blends. I love the Contraband blend, which is the the bomb coffee with a dope finish. It is a great uh, uh, blend there. Um, Our staff loves it. Go check out Leash and Harness Coffee. This is a coffee company that is there for canine handlers, and the proceeds, portions of the proceeds, go to helping various canine programs in a, in a number of different ways. So please get out there and support Leash and Harness Coffee. You can find them on Instagram, Facebook, and through their website. Again, that'll be linked down below in the show notes. Of course, our staple of Psy uh, Canine. If you're looking for TADS, the training aid delivery devices, go check them out, psyk9.com. Also, they have just now put out cleaning products. 
products that you can use to clean your vessels, your different containers, the different things in your area that you put out your training aids in. This is a great tool to have for basically helping minimize contamination and minimize leaving residual uh, odor in your training areas. So go check out Psy Canine, go check out their cleaning, their cleaning products. And they have listed on that website, the cleaning protocols involved. So great information right there for you guys to go use. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Iowa canine detection from Josh judge. He recently sent me some really nice explosive training aids. These uh, training aids are real substance, real odor. Uh, these are the ones that he can safely ship. So it's the powders and the, and the oxidizers. So you've got your chlorates, your ammonium nitrate, uh, potassium nitrate, pyridex, black powder, single and double base uh, smokeless powders. So go check out Iowa Canine or Josh Judge on Facebook. Again, same thing as before. Check out those show notes because all of these sponsors and their websites are listed down below. Uh, our precision explosives guys on the explosives topic, they have a number of great uh, training aids to purchase. The odor imprint pads. You also have the uh, mod, the mixture odor delivery. And I've showcased that also on our YouTube channel. Go check that out. Precision Explosives run by Todd and Chrissy Wilbur. Great customer service. Again, link in the show notes down below. And last, another shout out to Bill Gaskins of Integrity Noseworks. He is out there now doing seminars, doing training. He's located in the Northeast United States. Uh, he's getting out traveling. He's going down to Texas here pretty soon. Bill is a great guy and an excellent teacher. I currently have him even redoing some of my PowerPoints for me because he's so good at some of the stuff that he puts out educational-wise um, that makes it even easier for us to understand. You can go check out some of his webinars that he's done with me on the Ford K9 website. So that's all I have for the sponsors. Please, as usual, I know you guys are starting to go see our new Ford K9 YouTube channel. Uh, every week or at least every seven to 10 days, I publish a video, either that's a Q&A type uh, video where I'm answering questions that you guys have sent to me, um, or it's a product review, or it's just a topic that comes up in detection that I want to share with you guys, a certain idea, point of view, methodology, and so forth. So on our YouTube channel, just under Ford K9, go check it out. And we're finally here. We'll be posting our online courses on FordK9.com. So be ready for the email updates that you guys are going to get with the links to the online courses by myself and numerous other instructors uh, that I've listed before. So if you're not a member of the Ford K9 website, go change that. Go to the website, go join the membership, and we look forward to sharing all this information with you guys there. Now, on to the episode. You guys get to have a fun one listening to me and Pete rock the boat when it comes to some of this detection dog, narcotic canine, um, either it would be training, deployments, and so forth, various beliefs that we've had in the canine narcotics world for a while, which also bleed over into other disciplines as well. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we'll talk to you soon.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Canine's Talking Sense, your podcast for everything detection dog related. I'm your host, Cameron Ford, coming to you from Las Vegas at the Ford Canine Training Center. Today, I get the wonderful pleasure of interviewing my good friend, Pete Stevens, again. Pete, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cameron. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Going to give you a little applause here for everybody that you know knows who you are. Yeah, this whole office is crowded full of people. <laughs> They'll believe that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, by bringing Pete back on, you know, Pete's been a regular guest on the uh, podcast, and I wanted to use this opportunity to interview Pete to kind of, you know, he's newly retired, so he's out there in the uh, big bad world of business in the dog world, and there's. A lot of experience that Pete has had from what he's done. So I'm going to kick that over. Let's give just for those that have come to the show that don't know who Pete Stevens is or maybe not have heard the episodes in the past, a little bit about you, your background, and how you got to be the wonderful Pete Stevens that you are today. <laughs> well, we'll start off my wonderful history with, uh, so I, I just, like Cam said, I, I just retired from, uh, and actually now that I'm retired, I actually get to say the agency name. Yeah. Uh, I retired from the Chula Vista Police Department uh, after about 24 and a half years down there. Prior to that, I worked for our San Diego County Marshal's Office. So a total of 32 years. Um, the... My beginning of my career that I found to be most beneficial for me, and I'll talk about the marshal's office, mm-hmm. which did not have a canine unit, but it got me into a courtroom. And testifying in a courtroom can be very scary. Sure. I have seen officers literally panic on the stand and get flabbergasted because they feel this uh, amount of pressure uh Maybe they don't understand the question, or maybe the terminology for even the prosecution or the defense is not a term that they're used to understand or are using. So working as a bailiff in court, I got very comfortable inside a courtroom setting. I have, you know, I've been yelled at by superior court judges, not for anything illegal, but like <laughs> forgetting to do something procedurally wise. So I got very comfortable. I also got very comfortable talking to attorneys. Um, both um, the prosecutors who us and the law enforcement community look at as our allies, mm-hmm. but also people on the, quote, the dark side. I got to know some public defenders and defense attorneys, became friends with them, uh, realized that most of them are pretty good people. Are there people that are shady? Sure, but there are people that are shady on both sides. Sure. So the marshal's office gave me a good courtroom experience, got me very comfortable in something that officers typically fear. Mm-hmm. Then I went to, um, I, I left the marshal's office after seven years. I, I wanted to be, quote, a real cop. Uh, I wanted to be, uh, being a bailiff was pretty cool. Uh, um, no, if it was raining, I wasn't wet. I could go to a plumbed bathroom that was mine. I didn't have to worry about trying to find a place. Switching over to the field uh, as, a, as a patrol cop when I got hired by <clears throat> Chula Vista PD, you know, that was a whole different world. Now I've got, you know, the actual real law enforcement side. I had always wanted to be a handler. Um, I had always wanted to, uh, ever since I thought about being a cop, I wanted to be a canine handler. I went on a ride along with a good buddy of mine from San Diego PD, a guy named Jim Stevens. Um, that guy was an absolute shit magnet. Uh, he <laughs> could, I mean, just if a armed robbery Just happened, had one of those skills that always attracted the criminal activity. Uh, well, if there was an armed robbery... Those armed robbery suspects were going to drive right by Jim after the broadcast. He just had that luck. 
And so I got to ride along with him and his dog Zosco, and that made me catch the bug. I'm like, this this is definitely what I want to do because I got to watch Jim take a guy into custody, no bite, but um, that action of taking the dog, we'll call it a dog point, you know, mm-hmm. um, he got yep. compliance, which is a great tool now being much older and wiser, you know, a bite isn't everything. Sure. But being able to see the dog being worked. So we were uh, in a backyard of a house clearing a, a, a burglary uh, alarm, and we were talking about his dog's drives. Jim's dog would uh, had hunt for man no problem, but he picked up a tennis ball in the backyard, and he goes, hey, Pete, watch this. And he chucks it across the the lawn. Zosko literally kind of looks at him and goes, well, dude, you going you gonna to go get that? Because I'm not. Because he just really didn't. He was a single-purpose patrol dog. But that made me catch that bug. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going through the police academy, uh, we had uh, we finished our, our academy, and then we went out on phase training. So I'm out on phase training, and here comes this uh, department-wide memo. This was before emails. It was sure. actually like a yeah. piece, of, you know, piece of paper. A typewriter? Yeah, a little. Yeah. You know, well, we were pretty high-tech. We had word processors. We were above. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we were above the curb there. And, and this memo comes out, hey, we're going to put on a, police canine decoy school mm-hmm. which hindsight being 2020 was more of like okay we just want our dogs to to mess you up and you know kind of do a little bit of hazing for lack of a better term when you you know see who, who's got the cojones to stick around yeah the good old decoy schools that would you know cut the teeth of those who want to become canine are they willing to get take a bite and if you don't have that fear to uh run you know it's innate to be fearful for being a you know a, a big dog's coming at you with a pretty powerful bite, but you know, as the old dog handler saying goes, it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when you're getting bit, but you're right. You know, one of the things that we all, a lot of us went through was you had to go play decoy for a while. So yeah, you, you definitely, I mean, I, I spent countless hours in the suit. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of one of the things that was back how in, in those days, that's how you cut your teeth and you showed your interest in it. Um, you were out there on your day off, sweating it up in the suit um, and you would be in there for as many reps as, as they needed. Absolutely. So that but being patrol dog was my first introduction to, to detection work because mm-hmm. honestly, when a dog is hunting man, um, they are, they are a detection dog for that. And if they can't get to their, the suspect, then they're going to do a trained final response of barking or whatever we've trained them to condition them to do. When I had to leave the, uh, uh, the patrol canine unit, when I, when I promoted, uh, retired that big 90-pound Dutch Shepherd that I had, a big uh, import from Holland named Bob, is a, allegedly a KMPV PH1. Okay. I kind of call BS. <laughs> if he was, he got a D. Yeah, there's a lot of those that kind of floated around. Yeah, he, but this was, you know, circa 2000. Okay. So that's when I got Bob. Uh, I worked him for uh, a little and more. I, than, and I love the name, by the way, Bob. Well, who, you know, super if intimidating. You, if you really think about it, though, um, what better name? Yeah. No. Um, you go into court and you go, this is my canine, Bob. If you go in there, this is <laughs> this is Dragon. Yeah. Or this is... This is Thor. Yeah, this is... But you, when you think of Bob, it's like, hey, hey, everybody's got an Uncle Bob. Everybody knows a Bob. So a retired Bob, um, he was a, a good dog for me to cut my teeth on. But you know how they say that your your first dog is your F-up dog? Mm-hmm. I definitely was uh, F-ing that dog up more than mm-hmm. one week. I created a lot of conflict. And I talked oh. about this when we did that very first podcast yeah. with yours when we were in Palm Springs. Um, but I created a lot of conflict with, with him just based on the compulsion style of training that we used way back then. 
Now I'm promoted. I get into our street narcotics unit. We don't have a dog. We don't have a narcotics dog. Our, our narcotics program had kind of fallen on the wayside after about 15 years. It had a lot to do with FSLA stuff, okay. and it, which was a big deal in the late eight, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of lawsuits going on with that. And, and, uh, and I'll add just for the listeners who don't know what the FLSA part is, it, it goes into the canine care and maintenance, and then the agencies have a responsibility to compensate the handlers for the time of taking care of that dog when they're off duty because that dog is a agency resource or asset and when that handler is taking care of it they need to be compensated for that care so uh during the 90s there was a couple uh specifically uh a, a case that went to the supreme court a uh, garcia rules what it came out as and the supreme court stated that the agency had to pay back pay in this case to these handlers it was san antonio pd uh for the care and maintenance of all these dogs they had during that time so now as you said you know bringing forward in time agencies had to make sure if they added a dog that they budgeted for this canine care and maintenance. Well, not just, yeah, not just the purchase of the dog and the training, nope. but now that now you're adding another thing hourly and, taken care of. Yeah. And, and what, what do agencies don't like to do? Spend money. Yep. You know, they want you to have a dog that makes money, mm-hmm. but they don't want to spend the money. Yeah. And there, there's always, there were some growing pains with it. I'm, I was able to find a grant from a, a very nice, uh, couple that uh, basically gave, I want to say, I want to, th- I think it was half a million dollars to um, San Diego County um, to the, it was actually the, the San Diego police foundation, but it was for countywide assets. So I was able to um, get a grant for snitch. That was the, the lab that I, another great uh, name. Yeah. Um, what a great name for a narc dog. I know. It was so much fun going, hey, go get the snitch. Yeah. And all the bad guys would be, you know, during a search warrant, they'd be like, yeah, bring them, bring the snitch in. And I walk in and there's my lab coming in. Her collar says snitch on it. And I'm like, oh. But she was a, a mediocre dog at best. And I'll be honest with you, uh, that was kind of my fault because I didn't know what I was looking for. Sure. Now, because she wasn't as high speed as... Um, I would expect a dog to be now for me when what I look for. Um, I had to grow a lot. Mm-hmm. And remember, now I'm coming from the patrol dog side. I'm coming from very harsh commands, very harsh corrections. Now flip me over to this lab who's super soft. And the, she came um, imprinted, meaning that she already knew the odors of cocaine, meth, heroin, and marijuana when it was illegal in California. And I... This must have been like in 1960. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. <laughs> but when I uh, had her first alert, the trainer goes, okay, give her a toy. So I toss her the ball, and we play a little bit, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm, you know, I'm doing the, come on, pretty girl, let, mm-hmm. let's do this. But then the trainer says, hey, go get your ball back. So I kick into Dutch Shepherd mode. I go over, and I straddle this poor lab from behind, grab her by her collar, start to lift her up, because I'm going to choke her off like I had to do with Bob. And I'm not kidding you, uh, Marianne, the, the trainer, looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And I'm getting the ball back. She goes, it's a lab. Tell her to drop it. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. And I go, drop it. You know, ball spits <laughs> out. I'm like, well, this is, this is going to make my life a lot easier. So I got to work snitch for about four and a half years. Uh, um, I got her about four years into my stint into narcotics. Our agency policy was uh, you could stay in a specialized assignment for eight years, but then you had to rotate out. So now I am going from a um, my unit that I was in, undercover unit, 
not wanting to be seen, no high-profile driving. Everything's pretty mellow. I had an unmarked uh, pastel-colored Ford Explorer that looked like a, <laughs> a, um, a soccer mom thing. Yeah. I even had like a little car seat and all that kind of crap. But here I am working this, this, this lab, and my time comes up for the, the narcotics unit, but we were killing it. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing good work. We were seizing... You know, we're we're, use, we're seizing dope. We're seizing money. We're it, it, she is more than paid for herself. Sure. And my time to rotate out. I was very fortunate that the uh, investigations captain was my canine lieutenant before he got promoted. Okay. And he said, "You can go over to our gang unit, take the snitch with you. You're going to be uniformed. Um, take her with you, but I want you to focus on interdiction." Okay. And. Interdiction work being seven miles from the border, honestly, dude, mm -hmm. it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Sure. Um, I had already had all these contacts from when I worked um, our street-level narcotics unit, so I was doing wall stops and whisper stops, mm -hmm. and both northbound and southbound, because mm -hmm. looking, for, we're looking for drugs yep. going north, and, and we're looking for south. money and guns going mm -hmm. south. Yep. And, and towards the end of my time with her, um, or I actually got another dog, but I'll, we'll talk about Turbo in a second, but... Towards the end of my time, we were finding more guns and stuff going south mm -hmm. than I had ever thought was even possible. Now, one thing that you brought up that is interesting, because a lot of agencies go through this, that that locked in time, like you could only be a handler for X amount of time right. or the life of that dog. Sure. What have you seen? I'm just segueing you for just a second here on this. What are you seeing? Because some, there's some agencies or the handlers kind of need a way to explain to the administrators where the problem can, where this can come from, you know, by the, Hey, you only get to work one dog and off you go. And then they pick somebody else. I think it comes up for like expertise level stuff when you're testifying. Um, if I had only, if I had just said, okay, my time with Bob is enough and I don't want to continue on, I would have only had that experience with him. Yep. Um, then getting, snitch and then later on getting turbo and then later on getting cooper uh i have way much more knowledge especially on animal behavior now because my oh yeah my time and, and, and the way we train is not the way we trained 20 years ago sure things have drastically evolved and we have gotten um sometimes too much into uh these little rabbit holes of different things oh, yeah. um but the big thing is about experience level do you want somebody handling a dog that is we call low frequency high risk mm -hmm. because patrol side it's a use of force uh, and then the detection side it's fourth amendment issues still it's use of force it falls under the fourth amendment in most cases mm -hmm. do you want somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of experience handling such liability sure and you can send somebody through some really excellent schools but once that person promotes out or goes on, mm -hmm. all that expertise, all that money, all that time that they spent gaining that experience is gone. Now, you may have some guys that are really cool and say, hey, I want to stay. I'll help you guys out. I'll, I'll give you my, my two cents. I got pretty good at finding compartments. Um, I was really good at finding them, not really good at putting things back. <laughs> but that expertise, some people will hold that close to the and they won't, they won't yeah. share it. And I think, honestly... Knowledge not shared is useless knowledge, sure. especially amongst cops. We are supposed to have the same goal, mm -hmm. fighting crime, doing justice, going out there, doing the Lord's work. Mm -hmm. 
But we get very, well, I, I'm not going to share Well, knowledge. we have to be, it's like the magic show. Right. I can't show you my tricks. And, and knowledge doesn't get passed around. I mean, and we see that frequently in the dog world. It's changing a little bit for that. That's thanks to the social media and things. that Because you, you now can't just say, oh, this is, I just do it because. You now have to validate a lot of things. But no, I mean, you, you made a, a, the important point is they're shooting themselves in the foot. Right. They, they invested in this canine team, this handler particularly, to go through all this training and education. Then just to five, six years later, Start all over again. And, and repeat the whole cycle. Exactly. And, and the guy that, and I'm not saying that the guy coming in might not even be a better handler. He, they've, could. He or she very well may be. But why throw away all that knowledge? I, I know, flip side, I came from a smaller agency. You know, we were, uh, when I left, we were like 250 something or other. Okay. When I started, we were at about 175 ish. So I understand giving other people a chance sure. to get into a, but you program. guys didn't have a small canine unit either. We you had guys, six dogs. Yeah. We had six dogs, seven, including the single-purpose narc dog that we added to the uh, um, to the, the narcotics program. Yep. So a total of it. And once your dogs start paying for themselves, now my goal was not to have, um, well, let me take that back. In the beginning, I sold the, the idea of, of having this narcotics dog as a way for the department to get asset forfeiture, equitable sharing, whatever sure. PC term you want yeah, to use. Yeah. But not because I wanted the money for the department. Because I knew, based on every time that I had seized money prior to, when we were, you know, a border city, it was not uncommon for us to stop somebody and have, and, and they would have $100,000, and you'd ask them, whose is this? And they go, oh, I don't know. But you have it. Whose is it? Well, it's not mine. So you found it? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay, well, we'll take it for safekeeping. And we would start sending them on their way. But then one, the one key thing that they would always ask for is, I need a piece of paper with a case number. <laughs> because they know that yep. if I go south and I don't have something uh-huh. proof saying that my money was seized by You're the police, a dead person. you are very dead. Yep. So I looked at it as, that is how you hurt the drug dealers, the cartels. Oh, you yeah. hurt them by taking the money because their product is already gone. They're always making it. Right. Their product is always gone. They actually kind of account for lost product. Mm-hmm. They don't account for lost money. Well, so you bring up something interesting that's tie into the digital uh, detection dogs now. And there's information, okay, I'll speak to a certain level on it because some of the stuff is still, you know, I won't say classified, but it's it's intel. So, but basically, money going, they've always had to account for a loss. Mm-hmm. They know that money's going to get caught, money's going to get seized, or they purposely set runners to get caught with X amount of dollars so that way the bigger loads can go by while you guys are occupied with that. The advent now, of course, of Bitcoin, digital cryptocurrency, what is starting to happen far more frequently is this is being turned into, this currency is being turned into cryptocurrency because under one of the things that was discovered was the way that the cartel looked at it was, sure, I'll take Bitcoin and Bitcoin goes up and down the market. It's the only option that has a ability to increase in value as they wait for it to get to them. 
where the other one is always a loss. When it's hard cash, it's always going to be a level of loss, the, the stuff that gets seized. Whereas the cryptocurrency is also far easier to get across a border and a micro SD card with all the codes on it right. to go do that. So those don't get caught. And, and more recently, I had spoken to uh, some police officers who work the road and are at that road level type of uh, work. And I asked them the question, are you seeing more thumb drives, SD cards, micro SD cards, these cars when you're doing work or on search warrants at homes? They're like, you know, now that you said that, yeah, I just don't think anything else. Because right now, just so you guys know, you are three to five years behind the curve as we far as tech. Are. Yes. And, and the thing that I learned was more recently when we were doing this research on the digital detection dogs was the digital aspect is at the speed in which it progresses or evolves is so fast. So every year we're behind, it's like three more years for it takes law enforcement to catch up. Sure. So it's like dog years as far as well, yeah, the ability. Yeah, that's actually a good point on that. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, when people were thinking of digital dogs, and I'll have a podcast on this coming up, people always think of digital media dogs as sex crime type things. Sure. They're thinking about it for the child uh, pornography or the And typically that's where those dogs are assigned that, to. That's what they thought. And it wasn't until I worked with the Dutch police and we had some good conversations with the research that... It was far more than that. It was the uh, money laundering, the the white collar crimes that are all being done. And in that interview, they talked. We were we we all kind of talked with each other about the the thing that the term used now is digital dust. We have digital dust everywhere because we do everything through our phones. Everything th- it's filmed. I was so pleased. One of the dogs that. Uh, we we won't say out loud, but you actually watch them certify. When I saw you right. one of the last times in Southern California, right. there is a particular case that's going on right now. It's a high profile case. One of those dogs found a phone in relation to this case, okay. and this phone ended up. And it was the area was already hand searched by detectives. The dog comes in afterwards and finds the phone hidden within a furniture item in the house. And sure enough, this has a lot of very incriminating evidence on it. And, uh, and it, this is just, this is how it was found by the dog. And then those that know the Jared from Subway story, same kind of thing. The, this, the FBI crime lab was in his house for two days searching because they knew he was exchanging images with their CI. And then this, this exchange, but they couldn't find where the pictures were. They're searching his house. They're doing all this kind of stuff. They can't find it. And then the one of the, I think it was one of the FBI detectives, but basically said, hey, I've heard there's a dog. This guy's trained a dog to do electronic media detection. Call the guy over. Long story short is within less than an hour, the dog finds the hidey hole, which is, I guess, a baseboard or something like that. Um, finds it with the, the, the thumb drives, which were all the images that were exchanged between Jared and this individual. So, the, you know. People were always thinking of dogs in that sense because of that, not knowing now there's tons of currency, like I said, money laundering, white collar crime, um, the aspect with the narcotics, and then here's the big one, the terrorism aspect. Sure. Anti-terrorism. Yes. So digital dogs aren't just, you know, about sex crimes. It's far more, and it now overlaps in the narc units, you know. To me, you know, as law enforcement evolves and detection dogs evolved, and one of the agencies again that you were out there with me on, um, that agency now has a digital dog in their narc unit for the exact reasons we're well, talking about. Well, it makes about. sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. 
So with um, where are we with Snitch? So yeah. Snitch and I went to um, doing interdiction work. Uh, still uh, in a black and white now, driving like a bat out of hell. Lights and sirens. She did not like that. She shut down and was basically, "Hey, I'm I'm done doing this." Uh, I was given the opportunity to go out and select um, my last dual purpose dog, um, Belgian Malinois named Turbo. I was smart this time. I got the littler dog. Now, were you able to go right from the uh, gang unit straight into uh, dual purpose dog again? Or yeah. did you have to, okay, cool. No, yeah. I was, I was basically just dog to dog to dog, basically. Dog, yeah. Dog to dog. Um, Almost to the last dog. I know the story to that one, but, yeah, but the, the, um, with my agency, it was what I pulled off and I don't know how I did it. Yeah. I used my, like my Jedi mind powers or something. <laughs> you need me. Yeah. You, you need another dog. <laughs> and I know just the bald guy to do it. But I was able to finagle a, a canine position in every assignment that I had. And was it for selfish purposes? Probably. Of course. Because I wanted, to, I wanted to work a dog and I really enjoyed working all of the dogs that I had, even the ones where it was kind of like, we struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, after, uh, I got Turbo, um, went out, selected him. He was a fantastic dog. Very, one of those dual purpose dogs that was good at both. Because mm-hmm. I think we've all seen the dogs that you, they're really good at uh-huh. patrol, but they're like, eh, I'm not so, not so keen because on. Because the handler, no. hey, biting is right. sexy. It you is. Gotta, man, detection, uh, that's not so fun. Until you blah, start blah, getting blah. sued because you, you know, didn't exactly. do something right or whatever. Yeah. But I got, uh, I got Turbo um, and he was just a fantastic dog. What a, uh, an amazing nose on him. Now, this is where the handler stuff comes in. Um, I was I think I was like 45 years old. I'm chasing some parolee at large in a canyon at 2 o'clock in the morning, and my knees are hurting. My <laughs> back's hurting. I'm like, dude, you've already done this. Why are you doing this again? You should be at home in bed. And a spot came open uh, on a federal task force. Uh, I was able to put in for that task force spot. I got it. I handed Turbo off to a couple really good, good handlers that did some good follow up work with him. Maintained him. He he continued to perform very very well. He was a no joke dog. I mean, I got to meet him. That dog was not the most. Uh, he wasn't your huggy feely type no, of dog. He was very standoffish. He, but I will tell you, he liked you, to bite a lot. He did. But you know what? The, the conflict that I had with him, created by me, was over. Uh, the ball over the reward. He never had any handler aggression towards me during bite work at all. He was super obedient. Uh, I actually made sure that during my bite work with him, that he looked at me as a partner. And uh, because I learned from Bob, the first dog <laughs> who would dance away from me with the decoy in the suit and put the I, decoy. I love that when their dogs are biting and they're spinning the decoy around, the handler's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but they're yeah. they're chasing him around the circle, uh, which is always I entertaining. The, I did the cueing stuff of suspect, stop fighting my dog. Bob, los, <laughs> no, fooey, los. I did that whole cue thing up where yeah. I just spun him up. And as soon as I started yelling, suspects start fighting my dog, Bob would start turning. Well, I'd ma- I wanted to make sure that I didn't do that with Turbo. I wanted to make sure that if he saw me coming up, he knew. We're butts. It's, we're, hey, we're in this fight together. You're in trouble because here comes Dad. Yep. And it worked out really well. The conflict I did with him was, was we used the old school method of choking him off the ball. Yep of because we were trying to build up Mm -hmm. that more possessive that drive of i want that yeah and and like that dog needed that he didn't (laughs) no i know and i and i learned that the hard way um stupidity should be painful and it was painful with me quite a few times sure but again that was stuff that i created um now when i rotated into this homeland security thing um 
somehow somebody mentioned getting a dog mm-hmm. for narcotics related investigations yeah. and I just happened to know a guy. We're, we're close to the border. We probably should do some interdiction. Well, they they wanted stuff. they wanted a dog embedded with them. Yeah, they didn't want to keep calling people. Sure, and it actually worked out really well. Yeah, um, because I was basically uh, you know a, a task force officer, a state peace officer, but cross designated as a fed. So I got to enjoy all those powers, and the dog was at their disposal. And uh, Cooper was uh, that dog, but that was the first dog I trained professionally to use using a marker system Mm -hmm. and from that point on i ain't going back yeah because it was so much clearer the foundation part of it went faster it um proceeded with no conflict between us he understood what we what we were doing everything was clear the bombing in the direct reward of the toy creating all that chaos where Mm -hmm. the dog's running around and i actually saw a, a a dog a malinois chase a tennis ball into a curb, break its mm-hmm. jaw. And then you do that in some certain training environments and you don't get invited back. Sure. Because your dogs have destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. It just made a heck of a lot more sense to me. Well, and you was- bring up the, the main point there too is working the dogs the way it's been, you know, over the past, you know, since the 2000s when we both kind of been doing this, you know, what position did you have to be in to reward the dog? You had, had to, to be, be behind, behind the dog. And and we did this ritual dance. Yes, and the dog knows the ritual dance. They know when you start walking behind what's going to happen next. The thing I always looked at, though, is it limits me. There, there's, what if I can't get behind the dog? You know, for whatever reason, tight spot, whatever. Underneath the, if they're underneath a yeah, car, exactly. how are you going to get there? No, and, or, let's say, interior of the car, sure. and they're on the you know, B pillar. And where am I supposed to, am I supposed to climb in the car and get behind them? You know, so then there's these different positions. So I looked at that. That's a limitation. You know, I wanted the ability as a handler to be able to work my dog under any kind of circumstance and have the same result, not a limitation. And then I'll add one more thing to that. What are we constantly yelled at by the trainers as handlers, especially in those days? Don't stand still. Keep moving. Keep moving. Do the dance. And I'm like, so I ask the question a lot now when I do my odor pace seminar. I ask the handlers, why can't you stop? Why, why can't you? Well, we don't want to cue the dog. So what you're, what you're telling me is you could do something that would cue your dog when odor is not there? Say that in court. Say that again in court. Say that again. <laughs> See how good that is. So what, you, what you've explained to me was you have a significant limitation that you aren't addressing. I should be able to stand still. I should be able to walk. I should be able to do jumping jacks. I should be able to reach my hand. And my, none of these things should cue my dog. If my training's clear. If your training's clear. Exactly. And done and spent the time on. Correct. Not race through. Or the other thing I love watching these days is it is like a 50-yard dash sprint watching handlers do boxes in four corners. They run to one box, run to the next box, try to be ahead of the dog to present. I'm like, do you think you need to do that? Does that dog not know where to go to? Why do you have to run ahead as fast as you can? Just to, just like in law enforcement, hey guys, just by the way, speed kills. Speed kills also in finding things when you're hauling ass, trying to think you're going to get there quicker than the dog. Why not just let the dog work in front of you? Especially when you got four boxes. Where are they going to go? Because we've always done it that I know, way. Exactly. That's the way I was yep. trained. And if you, if that question, when I asked that, 
why'd you do that? And they go, well, that was the way I was trained. I blame the trainer. Absolutely. Because if the trainer didn't explain to you what the goal of this exercise was or why you're doing something, that is 100% on the trainer. Now, if you're a more seasoned handler, I will put a little blame on you for not having a cojones to say, why are we doing that? Yeah. Uh, God bless my mentor because I was always mm -hmm. next to him going, why are you doing that? Well, why are you doing that? <laughs> but he knew that I wasn't saying, well, why you are you doing you that? You weren't questioning him. I wanted to know the process. Yeah. And the cool thing about working with my trainer was that he would say, well, this is setting us up for three or four steps down the road, yeah. which taught me to do that. Mm -hmm. to, to My training plans are, I'm, I'm planning mm -hmm. two or three sessions ahead. Yeah. I need to lay this down uh, and... And that's Reinforce huge. that. And Having have, that plan. You have, oh, dude, have you, yeah. how many times you walk out and go, oh, it's your, it's your turn to set up training and you get out there and it is uh, um, just somebody throwing dope out or yeah. explosives out. Um, and now, oh, to send your dog out. There's and, and no that's goal. What, no. And that's one of my key things, again, that I throw out there in my, my class seminar, as I say, okay, what's the most important thing? What are the things we got to work on most? And people go, foundation, fundamentals. And I'm like, okay, you're right. But you don't have a foundation or fundamentals without the blueprints, without the plan. Right. Have the plan so that way you know what you're going to do in fundamentals. You know what the objective is. What's the end state? What's my goal? What am I trying to do in this session? Is this session part of a bigger plan of what I need to work on my dog? Or is this session a specific thing I need to work on because I saw something in training? And also too with the with the trainers, is there a training? Is this training scenario for the dog specifically? Because we're realizing that it is a dog problem, and which is usually kind of a handler problem sure. too. Yep. But is it also a handler problem? Mm -hmm. You and I both know what is the hardest thing for somebody to come out and say is I got nothing. Yeah, and it's so hard when then you've got a team of narcotics guys standing behind you that yeah. just follow. I know it's right here. Answer. We've been the watching CI, them on a wiretap. The CI says that it's here. It's This car is loaded. Hey, I'm not saying that there's not dope in the car. I'm just saying there's no odor coming out that my dog didn't get their nose into. One of the training partners that we had in the very beginning of my company was uh, Elliot mm -hmm. from um, LAPD. Yep. And uh, Elliot did a really cool study that he videotaped, which was, you can package dope so it doesn't have very much odor. Correct. Time is what will helps. Will help you, yeah. But if they do it quickly, yeah. And you've got it freshly sealed. Yep. Odor doesn't have, hasn't had time to permeate everything and Correct. escape through. And there is a high likelihood yep. that it may not. And those not knowing, those detectives who don't know dogs and don't know their, their capabilities and limitations think all of a sudden now when they go find another way in, they search, they find the dope that, that was there, then you're going to, the dog's like, or they think your dog sucks. They're like, oh my gosh, how did you miss that? Well, you're only as good as your dog's last find. Exactly. And I will tell you, um, my the two best finds that I, I, that I, in my book, were not big. One was a tiny little dime bag. Mm-hmm. And well, okay. One of them was big was cause it was a little bit more. It was, it was about a hundred thousand dollars in dope money <laughs> yeah. that they swore wasn't there, but mm -hmm. turbo hit it right where it was. But snitch did one where it was a, a local community college called and said, Hey, we need a dog. I rolled out with snitch. I guy was on parole. I told him, Hey, I'm going to be searching your car as conditioning your parole. Is there anything you want to tell me about? Oh, I got nothing in there. Got nothing. I let snitch go in there. She finds a scale, got residue on it. I'm like, Oh, we're on the right path. She crawls out as one of those F-150 quarter cab, okay. I, I, I yep. call it, yep. where the door opened kind of like a yep. suicide door. Yep. 
that door was open. She's in the back seat. She literally crawls over the front, the driver's seat on the backside and puts her head up underneath. Like she gets outside the car. Now she's standing up on her hind legs and she's driving her head up in there. She's not going to a sit because she is trying to, I can see her jamming her head in there. And I'm like, okay, well that's, she's getting as close as she can yeah. possibly get. I reach up underneath and there's a, a an Altoids box, homemade mag box, mm-hmm. painted black, open up. And there's just one tiny little half gram bag in there. But everybody had already searched that car. They didn't find it. And the dog found it. Yeah. And that that's one of those ones. It's gratifying. Well, and, and so we were talking about um, one of the things that, that you, what did you learn? And I will tell you one of the hardest things to do is to um, not give up on your dog. And what I mean by that is, is, okay, so your dog gave you a trained final response, but you can't find it. Mm-hmm. How far are you willing to go? Are you willing to just sit on the side of the car or the side of the road and just start taking that car apart? Because they know the bad guys know we're lazy sometimes. We're sometimes are li- limited. I, are, oh, I'm being nice. I'm just trying because there's various, you know, there's hard workers out there. So there I don't want <laughs> no, to, but where I'm going is, is that we, we're also scared to cause damage. And yeah. I mean, I, well, you got some admin that are going to be like, you scratch, I'd pay one more thing on a vehicle and it's your ass. But, they know this. Meanwhile, they're happy to take all the money that you seize. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and going to uh, um, believing your dog, and when you get into, like, I'm, how much time are you going to spend? I have spent literally two to three hours searching a car because I'm like, no, it's here. What I saw, it's here. And I had little alligator arms, so I can't, mm-hmm. but I've had a, where it's been hidden up in the seat. And nobody else on my on my team like oh your dog sucks. Was she one hundred percent all the time? No, but in no dog should be exactly. No dog is. There is no perfect officer, no. and there is no perfect dog. So we're we gotta get past that. We're pretty yeah. close, but <laughs> you know, but t- believing in what I saw, yeah. I, I'm and I'm, I'm probably gonna piss some people off. I don't believe in trusting your dog. Mm-hmm. I trust my training. I know my dog. I was just going to say it's more important to know your dog because if you know your dog, then you can actually trust the dog. But if you don't know that dog and know those little nuances, and one of the things I, I push handlers on, tell me, articulate to me the difference between when your dog is smelling something that's distracting or like a proofing a odor, novel odor, novel something, odor something interesting, dog piss, sure. whatever it is. Describe to me that in detail, and then describe to me in detail your dog's change of behavior or alert behavior, whatever you want to call it. Tell me, tell me what that is, and why is it different? How do you know it's different? Because that needs to be documented in your records, so that way when you're challenged in court, you can say, I know my dog was on odor because, but we used to always just focus on that. We never focused on handlers making sure they also knew what the other things look like and could describe those in detail. And what I t- and this is where the kind of the nose work side will come into things. Uh, um, putting out a known distraction and letting the student or handler know, okay, that is a known distraction. You have target odor in here someplace, but over here is your known distraction. And we'll do that in the beginning, and I will tell them, get some video of this. Watch it. Go home and study it. Are they always the same? No, but they're generally the same. You know, that, that excited, like I, I like to use the term as like target odor is exciting. Target odor, they, they, they 
lean towards. They get aggressive towards. It's a happy thing. There's just you know you'll see the the tail wag. Yep. You'll you'll see all those There's little that things. Physical physiological was, response. Like, right. I mean, you got and, and you know not sidetracking too much. I mean, you're here for the cognition seminar, cognition right. instructor seminar, and you guys got fed a ton of information, videos, and stuff today that showed you some of the things within MRI scans. Right. That was dude. That was cool. Yeah. That. What's happening in the dog's brain, specifically to a trained odor versus something of interest, there, there's things that are significantly different. Not only that, but let's say you set up a, a controlled negative or a blank. When you set up that controlled negative or a blank, and the handler comes out and you go, okay, what'd you get? Oh, showed some interest over here. Oh, I love that one. Um, okay. I have done that. Hold on. I've done that because. I know. I have to. I'm the guy who's like, okay, if I was some tweaker, my dog was. We don't want to be wrong. Right. We don't want to miss something. Right. And and I've had had my dogs miss stuff and I've had people come out and, you know, oh, hold up a bag or, or, you know, oh, your dog sucks. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, well, where was it? Under what circumstances? Which way was the wind going? You know, there's so many different little circumstances. But the idea of knowing where the distraction is so that they can watch for those little nuances is something that a lot of people don't do. They will, they'll say, Oh, I think I missed something because my dog went over here and sniffed. Well, no crap. You sent the dog out to go sniff stuff. They're going to sniff stuff. Did you see anything else? Not only that, I was just saying what, what you okay. So we both seen it. The dog shows interest in something, right? Doesn't indicate at all. Just shows interest. Handlers never want to leave the area. They just right. stand there over, or they finally are willing to leave the area. They leave, and then they come back, and they leave again, and they come back. I'm like, how many times do you want to come back to this area? Well, I saw some interest, and you know the joke I use, and I stole this from Andy Wyman. You're either pregnant or not pregnant. There is no kind of pregnant. The more you keep coming back to this spot, what are you telling the dog? It's not, There's something here yeah, I want, it's or I not, want you to find. Exactly. It's and and the thing I have to drive home to many handlers is, and that's whether it's professional or sport. It's not your job to convince the dog there's odor there. It's the dog's job to convince you. And so often, because we don't want to be wrong or we don't want to miss something, we do our damnedest to convince the dog there's something there when there's nothing there. Versus just going, hey, and even if there is, like you said, something gets found later on, maybe there wasn't enough odor. But standing there longer and detailing the shit out of it isn't going to make it something you're going to find. Detailing the same place over and over and over again. Like we uh, see the four or five trips around the room the same direction. You've now created your own little swirl anyway. Clear to the clear to the corners and get to the center. Get out if you if you have checked everything. You've checked as best as you can. You only can work with what's genetically in front of you, and based on the conditions and everything else that might be there, there a draft or whatever. And we talk about odor plume, and when you talk about scent cone, it's very misleading. It's a smoke cloud. If we've ever seen one, it's, it's like got, a fog. It's got peaks and valleys, and as Mister Murphy would probably raise his ugly head and cause, distri- <laughs> you know, the the one thing that you don't want to have happen is is just as there's a valley, your dog's nose is in that valley, and they just miss it. And it's our job as handlers to get our dogs' noses sure where they're at. And I'm not opposed to that. It's when you do it too damn much, trying to convince the dog of something you've seen. Well, so now on the sports side, yep. they're under a time pressure. Correct. Those dogs 
feel that time pressure and oh, they course. and they start handless body languages right. change all that. well because they're feeling the pressure mm-hmm. and that is a Especially lot the of ones pressure. that have the ginormous watch on their thing that's beeping Beep. at them <laughs> it's like a but you know waiting for the heartbeat is, to stop yeah but it is okay so but that that time pressure does give them something that they they need they need a little bit of pressure we yeah. have you know the professional side has consequences like legit consequences where the sports side time can be a a good way to Put some pressure on. Sure, and 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 I and I get that, but they also need to train at longer times so sure. that the dog doesn't have that internal clock that says, "Well, shit, I'm supposed I to find something, find something, something by, by now. now." So I'm just going to start. I'm going to start offering behaviors over here where I found something that interests me and hope, or they'll make that uh, um, familiarization where they're like, oh, I've, I've smelled this cab- or a cabinet before on a seam, so I'm going to generalize and just go... Start doing that, and then what does the handler do? Start walking behind the oh, dog, yeah. and, and then all of a sudden I have to get ready for... Oh, oh wait, not, not ready. back, and I got my cool 511 tactical pants, and I yeah. ripped the Velcro. Yeah, oh, yeah. And this just turned into a marker. So uh, but you actually mentioned something about uh, details, and I will tell you that I write my reports at the end after... Uh, the last two dogs, my my reports were far more detailed in the description of the changes in behavior and the train final response. Did I always get a train final response? Nope. Um, but I needed to get as detailed as I possibly could. I couldn't. I, I can absolutely understand how any um, defense team will pick you apart. If all you say is, I deployed my dog on an exterior sniff of the vehicle, and they alerted. Okay. Let's say it's before body camera days. Mm-hmm. How? Yeah, what, what, is what that? do you mean? What, what is that? Describe what do you mean? it for me. So I would go through the whole excited, you know, he was body became rigid, and all the all the little descriptions. Yeah, the keywords, yep. But, but there's certain things. And, but if you use a, a, a term, you have to explain what the term is. Sure. You have to write every report as if it's going to go to the Supreme Court. Yep. Because absolutely. they're not going to ask you. They're going to read your report. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to have to make you. They might look at your testimony um, before it gets that, that high. But report writing is huge. Have somebody else that's a, you know, an expert in the legal field yeah. review a couple of your reports. Maybe someone's got a lot more experience with you and go, hey, you know what? It's pretty good, but maybe if you described it this way, describe it like how you're not talking to another cop, that you're not talking to another handler. Describe it that you're talking to the layperson, the yep. person, because the DA that's going to issue your case, the defense attorney that's going to be defending their client, if they understand what you're trying to explain. And it's easy and to digest and understand. They, they can picture it. Right. And they, they kind of, oh, okay, well, that all makes sense. Know your report before you go into court. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're sitting out in the hallway, you better know that thing inside and out. Mm-hmm. But reports need to be extremely detailed. I was say, especially today with the body camera stuff. Because well, body cameras, dude, they're the best freaking thing ever. Now people can see what we see. But they only see what that camera sees. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and that's why, it, hopefully... It, with these, this day and age, there's obviously, thank goodness, multiple uh, camera angles, whether it be other officers or vehicle, right. what have you. But you know, you're, it, and that's a hundred percent true. The limitation of a camera is sure. only what it sees because it's and there's, you, you most it. of the you know they, they wear it on their chest. I had one when they first came out. I had the one that was on the eyeglasses, and I really liked that. Um, 
Because it followed your head. It followed my head. Yeah. It followed where I was looking. But set up, you know, if you have guys that have cameras and they're covering you, set them up so that they get a wider view of it. everything. Because they're going to request a body camera footage from them for anyway. everybody that was there. Yeah, at the scene, yep. And I'll tell you right now, I, the people that don't like body cameras are probably people I don't want to work with. Yep. Because if they're, what are you worried about? What do you have to hide? What are you worried about? If you're I, doing your job, doing the job you're supposed to, what do we have to hide? I get it. There's risk. There's risk in everything, though. Sure. So I mitigate my risk by doing things the right way and not compromising you know, the, the integrity of the case or um, how I'm working my dog just to make uh, the, the drug unit happy because they were certain that there was something here. And I go around the car two times saying, sorry, nothing here. What do you mean there's nothing there? We know. And, and well, there's, if you know, go get. Exactly. And there's plenty of handlers. Thank goodness there's more. But there's that initial pressure. You should sure. find something. You don't. Your dog doesn't respond. And then they still find a way into the vehicle. They find out there's nothing there. And it, this actually just happened to a handler here locally. Um, and the irony here is he's not a drug dog handler. He's a bomb dog handler. Right. So the short version is um, there was explosives stolen from either a mine or something out here. ATF was on it. Uh, ATF basically knows where the guy's at. Call the handler over. Can you go search the guy's vehicle and trailer? Well, you mean sniff, not search. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Sorry. My bad. Yeah. Yes. Sniff. Yes. Sniff. Do a free air sniff well, I'm me. using the words of the ATF person. Okay. So that's why. Uh, but anyway, terminology yeah. is important. You know, very much so. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So the handler says, you know, well, my dog's not for PC. However, right. I hope you have a lot of other things. And the answer was yes. And they, they checked all the right marks. But anyway, so the handler deploys the dog on an exterior sniff of the vehicle in the trailer and yields negative results. And he was saying to me, he goes, I get around the vehicle and he goes, I go the two times and there's nothing. My dog, he's like, but I go ahead and because it's a bigger search as far as it's, it's the trailer and a vehicle. And I give it, he's like, and I saw like one little head bob near a tire. So I, on my third pass, I just made sure we got that spot again. And he, he goes, in my head, I've got the guy telling me he knows there's something there because they've been on surveillance. My dog's not telling me that. And he goes, I remember you in my head going, we're either pregnant or not pregnant. He goes, so I just told myself, I'm walking away because we're not pregnant. I'm not getting anything from my dog. So sure enough, as he's walking to the uh, agent, they make contact, tells him that uh, guy's like, how can your dog be missing? This is hundreds of pounds. He goes, I don't know. I'm just telling you, my dog's telling me nothing. About that time, supposedly, the guy's been tipped off by the hotel staff that there's, you know, somebody going around his car so or his truck. So they quickly, I guess, go back into position where they can watch. The guy didn't see them. He takes his vehicle and trailer, moves around behind the hotel. Then, however time goes by, then they see the guy walking out with all the, all the explosive materials that he had in the hotel room. <laughs> so the handler said to me, he goes, this was one of the most gratifying not alerts right. I've ever had. He goes, because, he goes, I looked at the ATF guy and I was like, so... Now, what about my dog? And now that you mention that, I can t tell you that that is a really good feeling. Oh, yeah. You go, yeah, there's nothing here. And and it turns out that those thought that there was and they don't find anything who are so convinced that you were wrong, right, your dog sucked, and it turns out you guys did your job. And you stayed honest. You didn't cue right. your dog. You didn't do something or or not even get the alert, but just just tell the guys, yeah, my dog had interest in the car. Go ahead. No. It's I, we've seen that on live yeah. PD. I mean, oh, God. 
Oh, Cameron, you had to go to Life PD, didn't you? Because that's the bane of my existence. Oh, so I, it's the bane of many existence. It has done more damage oh, yeah. to the canine profession. Yeah. Although, let's be honest, we've done enough. Oh, we, yeah, we, we, we won't even get we, into We the, can shoot ourselves in the foot just plenty. Not we a, won't get into the camera. apprehension side, <laughs> yeah. but enough on the, you know, yeah. the, the, the detection side. Yeah. But with... With the detection side, being prepared to testify in court and understanding what your dog is trained to do and how they're trained. I could tell you that I, I, I think with some with some certainty, there are I would maybe about half the handlers out there, if you say, give me the four quadrants of operant conditioning, can't give them to you. More than half. I, I, I mean, not even the handlers. Trainers. When I do my class and I ask the question before I go to that slide, I'll even give them the easy one. Okay, here's the easy one, positive reinforcement. Right. Okay, what's the opposite of positive reinforcement? Number one answer is always negative reinforcement. No, it's not. Positive punishment. So, and I tell them, I said, look, guys and gals, depending on who's in there, I said, you're a trainer. How it's incumbent, it's your duty to understand the system in which you communicate to the dogs in. Understanding things like classical conditioning and operation. Well, classical conditioning is something that is so important to what we do. Mm-hmm. I'll just say it's like in the narcotics world, which is what I know. I dabbled yep. a little bit in explosives, yep. which kind of sounds weird. but <laughs> the Different than saying dabbled di- in drugs. Exactly. Well, that, that was a different life. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. You but did live with in California. The, with the, well, hey, lots of things are legal there now, including crime. Yeah. But you've got the classical conditioning, which is something that the dog does naturally. They... Pavlov's dogs, the easiest way to describe it to people. And and I keep asking this now in, mm-hmm. in a lot of the classes that I'm doing. And there are more more and more people that don't know Correct. Pavlov's dogs. Yeah. And then you kind of explain it to them. And then you ask them about their rituals with their dogs. And all of a sudden, now it starts to make sense sure. with them. Well, you're able to make the connection to them. So right. you feel it. Yeah. So, no, you're, you're right on the and, – and I'll, and I'll say this to trainers. I say, okay – so you, 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 you want the trainer status and you want to train people either through your passion or ego or whatever. You're a trainer now. Okay, is it, it not your job to be the best at this? Because it's, you, you're there because you wanted to be there. And if you are there and you're entrusted to train the others, you need to know the main forms and methods in which you communicate to dogs and handlers And if you don't understand some of the main core methods to training and you can't articulate these things, you are limited as a trainer. And it's it's like saying, oh, I'm great with firearms. I can shoot the hell of a grouping. You know, my grouping is within three inches or whatever. But you don't know how to load the gun. So how good are you at me for this? I'm a new officer. Yeah, you can shoot great. But how do I load this weapon? But you're also going to look like a complete fool in court. Of course you are. And that's the one thing that people are scared of. You don't yeah. want to lose the case because you don't know yeah. what your do- how, how your dog is trained. I, I would get, I got asked a couple questions. I, I got to kind of, you know, toot my own heart here. Sure. The, uh, I was asked, what is your, your, your dog is trained to find drugs? I said, no. The odor. And that's exactly <laughs> well. I said, no. And, the, and they literally looked at me. Well, what is your dog trained to do? My dog is trained to find the odors of cocaine, methamphetamine, marijuana, and heroin. Mm-hmm. And they go, it's a drug dog. And I go, no, because you could put a pile of cocaine, a pile of meth, and a pile of heroin, and a pile of marijuana out, and my, th- my dog is going to look at it and go, I don't know what that is. Ah, but if they smell it, and they get an odor of it, or they get a whiff of it, then all that training that we did 
kicks in mm-hmm. and the classical conditioning kicks in. And mm-hmm. now they're starting to play, display all mm-hmm. that stuff. And now, okay, that's, they, they smell what they're trained to smell. They behave the way I want them to behave. They're going to get what they want. Yeah. It's kind of the relationship we have. And if yep. they don't understand that, you can't articulate that in, in court. Yep. You know, but that because one of the questions they'll ask you, how was your dog trained? So for, and, and I throw this out students too, as I say to them, okay, I'm going to, I'm the attorney, I'm the defense attorney. I'm going to ask you the first question I'm going to ask you is, are you the expert of your dog? What better your answer be? Yes. Of course. Okay. So you, we've established you're the expert of your dog. Now my next question is, how was your dog trained? Uh, well, I, I, I bought trainer. it from, uh. So and so, and it was fully trained. Now there are some, and I, I, I don't want to say that there are bad courses because there are bad courses. I'm going to say not everybody thinks not, like that. There yeah. are a lot of people who are really good at what they do, and they of understand. Course. But if you're going to be a canine handler, and I don't care if it's for two years, five years, or for your entire career, you better be a student of your craft. You Absolutely. better have the expertise. You better know everything there is to know, especially because we, we talked about in the very beginning of, with you know ro- rotating out policy type yep. stuff and you lose all that expertise. Mm-hmm. Well, now you want the department to invest in you and <laughs> they have invested in you. Well, then you better... Now it's your turn. This is where you pay up, sucker. Th- yeah, this exactly. <laughs> this is your your turn yep. to put all that expertise in because that mm-hmm. was what we claimed in the beginning mm-hmm. was, oh, you need to have expertise. Yeah. Now, there are people who are really good handlers who are really crappy trainers. Sure. Because they're good at handling the dog, but they don't know how to talk to somebody Correct. and explain to them or, or take a dog it's from... It's a feel for them, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. No, not yeah. at all. There's, there's some that are just natural with it, and they just don't know how to explain their, their thought process because it just comes to them naturally. So they don't know how to go, oh... So when I do this, I'm looking because it, it just happens split second. They're making quick decisions, and they're great at it. It's like some of the trainers that I, uh, I have some good friends that are amazing guys who do. I, I hate using the word direct reward because it's direct no matter what you do, whether right. it's a signal or delivering. But the 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 term that's industry is when you're paying at source. Let's say uh, there's some guys and they're great friends of mine. They are fantastic at it. They can get away with how they deliver this reward that your normal handlers can never do. So their dogs look fantastic doing it this way. And you can give them dog after dog. They're that skilled. And, they, and the result will always look the same, which is why they do what they do as a business. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're cranking out dogs, training them, selling them, and they're looking fantastic. But the problem is the handler that it goes to doesn't even have a tenth of that skill because they're brand new. And then within no time, the wheels fall off. And that honestly happens in any system. No matter, even like... I can do the best training or the trainers that have that work for me can do a fantastic job as well with marker and everything else. The minute that someone starts marking at the wrong times or arbitrarily marking, it's going to degrade. So whether it's the, the pay at source or um, uh, the marker training style, if your training is crappy, your result will be crappy. It's not necessarily the fault of the training system. Right. It's the fault of how it would reinforce well, the was teams given. have been very successful. Yeah. They've trained with, you know, the, the bombing and the toy. Well, I'll call mm-hmm. it that because that's makes yeah. it easy for me, but they've been very successful in the past. And, but so is also, so we're typewriters. Right. Typewriters right. were great in the beginning. Exactly. Now we have computers and that's, that's the analogy I use when I do my classes. I'm like, look guys, typewriters work. 
You could still use them today if you wanted to. How many typewriter sales places do you see right now? You don't. You don't. So it's the evolution of everything. We talked about this today in the class for cognition was name something that's tw- that like technology wise. Any like what was our phone in 2000? Oh yeah. <laughs> a Nextel yeah. typically, right? The right. old school Nextel flip oh, the phone. Were cool, dude. Yeah, oh yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it was crazy that decided the Apple Watch now has like the Nextel feature built into it. You can like radio each other. But anyway, we we digress. So, you know, so the methodology that's still prevalent today, you know, doing the system that exists of trying to pay the dog over its head and not get caught and all that stuff, that started in the early two thousands. And we are with now, good intentions. With good, no, it moved the needle forward because right. we had aggressive dogs before that, and we had dogs that only did scratch bad? alert. <laughs> yeah, with depending on what we're doing. Dear, dear chief, here's yes. another bill for a Mercedes paint job. Yeah, yeah no, not too many of those go by. But it, so we we had you know we can do a quick little history lesson here. We had aggressive alert dogs. Yep. Let's just say the '90s, '80s, and '90s. And then, that guy who did the interdiction videos yes. never get caught. And and if you watched how dirty. Oh, he in that in those videos, he's admitting to being a dirty cop. I, I yeah. And how in the like, I'm looking at like, how did we let oh, uh, why are we normal. not reviewing these cases? And now, I mean, he's out to trying to make money on never get caught again. Yeah. But he's basically admitting because I was like, this is great. He's going to teach me how he's teaching people. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it was a waste of my like $19 or yeah. whatever it was. Meanwhile, he's smiling. Yeah. Yeah. He got my 19 bucks. But the video and he was literally talking about how he lied yeah, and how he would cue his dog. Mm-hmm. So, and then at the border, when I was first started uh, in law enforcement, that was how they would do it. They would scratch and then it became the passive, which is where they're still kind of at now, but now they're getting into more of a marker type system. Yeah, absolutely. And I see a lot of more agencies are, mm-hmm. are, are oh, progressing. Yeah, but when you change. talk about large agencies like that, it mm-hmm. takes a lot to change. It's a big ship to turn. Yeah, yeah, it takes, and it takes, it's a big ship to turn, and you know how long it takes that ship to turn, and oh, you yeah. have to have the patience to do it. It was 20 years of doing it. You know, I've had good conversations with some of the bigger federal agencies that the, their head trainers are all for the marker system, but like they said, we now have to change the 200-something trainers I have out right. there. And not that only that, they have 1,600 handlers. You got it. Where And you have to go to the lowest common denominator. Yep. You have to train. You have to set the bar that the knuckle dragger can pass. Yeah. Because if they have, if they meet the standards, they got to be able to pass. And but not everybody's capable of doing it. Yeah. One of the best searches I've seen was from a certain federal agency, but the absolute worst search I've ever seen was from that same exact agency. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we got to take each individual yeah. handler at for what hey, they are. Even, each team. Even when I was with the SEAL teams, uh, it was there was sometimes I was shocked by certain individuals. I was like, huh. You know, not what I'd expect as a Navy SEAL, and they'll they're the they were the first to tell me, "Hey, no system's perfect. We have our cracks too." And there are people they call it the gray man. Mm-hmm. The gray man is the one that just blends in, not the best, not the worst, but they do what they're supposed to do to get through. And then once they've made it through, and and there's and that's still saying something that that individual is not a piece of crap or whatever, but. It didn't fit the mold that you're used to seeing, and now that they're not in under that microscope or that system anymore, then the it's kind of like dating. All of a sudden, now after the first few months, or the, the rose colored glasses are off, well, you'd see the individual more in their true sense, 
and you and it didn't match what you would see with the naval special warfare group. So it, it, there is no perfect system. Just no. like we said a minute ago, there's no perfect handler, no perfect dog, and we understand that. But what we have to do is we have to, like what you're bringing up, is we have to be better and always keep striving to be better at what we do. We can't just keep, oh, this is the way we've always done it, back to that same comment. Well, let's then we get into, let's talk about certifications. Oh, God. Okay, so certifications, and it, it, patrol side, detection side. Plain and simple, that is the lowest standard of which we operate. But yet, it's the standard in which all of them want to train to. Right, but they'll go out and they'll, whether it's, like I said, patrol or detection, what are they doing right before certifications? Oh, I'm training... I'm training super hard. I'm sticking with the protocols. I'm doing all this. Well, why the hell weren't you doing that the whole time? And where was your trainer? Yep. Because you should be able to be tested, like we talked about today uh, in the class. You should be able to do your certification at any point in time. I, it's the minimum standard. I should be able to walk it to you. Okay, let's, let's do a cert right now. You know how many people would shit their pants? It's not hard. No. But they fear it because it's a standard. What if I don't meet the standard? What if I fail? Well, what if? Well, then we, well, you should be do if you are operational and the minimum standard is certification, you should be exceeding the minimum standard like it's nothing. It's a big nothing burger. You yeah. should you should be able to go in there confidently going, yeah, I got this. No problem. Mm-hmm. If you go in there doing certification, how you do your deployments and let the dog do his yeah. job. But yes, you're a team. You're absolutely a team. And it's your job to drive them there. It is your job to make sure that their nose gets us wherever it's supposed to get. Mm-hmm. And follow your training, mm-hmm. but it's zero yep. unless the dog tells you otherwise. Mm-hmm. Every search is blank unless the dog tells you otherwise. Absolutely. It's the dog's job to convince you there's something there, not your job. But that shows if you are struggling to meet certifications, that tells you that your training program is lacking. Has some holes in yeah, it. Yeah, and you need to, to – we talked about it uh, – um, at the, the webinar I did with you is training. It's for, I, I, my little saying is, is if training wasn't hard, all you had was rehearsal. Yes. And training is supposed to show the weaknesses in your program. It's to help you get, I want you to fail. I, I just came back from doing a seminar, at Eric Stambrose and every uh, handler that was there. I told him that's Van S, right? Yes. Van okay. S and, and the working dog radio host. Right. So what I was doing with that crew was I said, Hey, look, we're going to do this. And they had is a three-day progression. We started off easier, but I had them change some things that they've been used to doing. And the goal, the end state by day three was double blind searches. So it kind of rocked them on day one of some of the stuff I did. Nothing major, just it was basically identifying the things that they did as handlers that were the dogs were reading. And when I pulled those away, I told them they can't do that anymore it, it, it changed, but the dogs quickly adjusted. Oh, okay, that's not working. It's an ego killer. Yeah, well, then I had them try to convince the dogs at times. Now try to make him believe you when you're doing X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. And then the dog start, stopped trusting him. I said, so here's another key little Cameron Ford nugget. Get your dog not to trust you so you can trust your dog. Because if the dog's constantly trying to uh, you know, read you, mm-hmm. And use you a for information. You, yeah. yeah. Who's what's the most useless piece of equipment <laughs> I, during a search? Us, the people. Exactly. So I want that dog not to trust anything I do because I'm worthless in the search. Other than getting you there and making sure you search a few things, anything I do means nothing. It's your nose, what you do. So by when handlers realize that 
and they could do things during their search, like stand still and do the other things we said a few minutes ago. And the dog worked anyway. They were like, holy crap, this is freeing. Well, you have to realize what you're training. Um, I, I will go down one of my faults. Uh, with Snitch, I did show me. Oh, yeah. I love that. No, and I did. I, yeah, I, yeah, I totally yeah. did. And, and what was even <laughs> even suckier. Show me. Well, yeah. what I what even sucked even more was I had friends that were detection dog handlers and trainers when I said, Hey, watch, this is snitch. And snitch went out there and she sniffed around a little bit and she gave me a, she was a, a protocol dog where, you know, she'd get her target odor and she would turn and face me mm-hmm. and sit, mm-hmm. wouldn't keep her nose on it yeah, and anything yeah. like that. So, and then I would say, show me. And then she'd go touch yeah. it with her nose. Well, I noticed that I started creating this monster of all she had to do was go out and get in fringe <laughs> odor, get in just the edges of the odor yeah. plume, not get to source. I'm going to, and she would turn and give me, you know, a sit. And then I would confirm with her if she was an odor by saying, show me. Yep. So show me turned into my search command. Yep. Find it was go out, get the odor plume. Mm-hmm. I'll re- I'll confirm it when you give me. Show me was almost a marker too. Oh my God, dude. dude yeah. Dude, I went down that slope so bad. Yeah. It was it was not pretty. But but realizing now, what am I training? Mm-hmm. What am I training? Like when you're uh, watching body camera and let's say it's like a third party cargo screening thing, and you're looking and you've got a handler who's brand new, and the dog's head is away from whatever it is, and they're praising the dog when the head's away. Yeah. They don't realize what they're doing. They're looking away. You're teaching the dog, I don't want your head towards our target area, the cargo that we're supposed to be screening, your head's over here. That's what I'm praising you for. It's like, yeah, let's let's be aware of what we're teaching our dogs. Mm-hmm. What are you really teaching them? Yeah. Are you teaching them to be dependent on you or independent for themselves mm-hmm. and becoming more reliable? And, and you just hit what we talked about today in the cognition class, which was what did the dog make the inference from? Was it what we thought it was? Was it the odor or was it what we did? And those dogs that were strong in inference had actually made the inference off of things that we did. The odor is part of it, but it wasn't the major part we thought it was. Right. It was these other things that we didn't really pay attention to. But now we, we do. Didn't know. Exactly. But now we do. But which is why we do these classes to help people understand even more. Um, you know, and I want to throw another controversial topic at you. The final response. Which one? Well, exactly. So, well, it has to be a sit. Sure. <laughs> what if they're underneath the car and they can't sit? <laughs> yep. But I need to buy the dog that is trained in a final as a sit final response because that's what we've always done. Just because that's what you've always done doesn't <laughs> Damn it, mean Damn it, don't take that argument from me. <laughs> that's just because it doesn't mean it's right. You know, and, and that's <sighs> we <laughs> the train final it's it's actually kind of funny was uh I think you were at. You, I think you were with me. We were in uh, at strategic operations okay. doing a class, <laughs> and Aida came down with uh, Izan, that really yes, fun, yeah. that fun retired uh-huh. French ring dog. He's fantastic. Oh yeah. So we're doing a search inside uh, one of the rooms. Izan's nailed it, but he sits back a little bit. There's a table. His butt hits the table, and he's just he's sitting there. And I'm looking at the handler, and I'm going to call this? She goes, well, he's not sitting. I'm like, he can't. He physically can't. Did you hear? (laughs) See, change in behavior, everything stops. He's done. He's staring at it like he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he's not sitting. Yeah, but he can't. And And his mind is. And you're telling him odor's not paying right now. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But in his mind, he's sitting. Yeah. He was in that well, position. Well, like you said, the, the, the class condition, the physiological response, odor, he, he reacted. Uh, like you said, the, the, the environment limited what he could do physically, but he's still communicating to you it's there. He's using demonstrative behavior changes that are known to be with target odor to tell you he found it. And those are the, the demonstrative ones are the, the big ones. Yeah. Those are the ones where you see target odor. Interest odor, pee, whatever, uh-huh. um, is not as desirable as target odor is because it doesn't mean no. Okay, the one caveat may be a female in heat. If sure. It's a boy dog, you're going to hear the, yeah. you know, the, the jaw, yeah. the licking. But, but those are all things that you can say are related to specifically that. And you can, if, if you have it set out, female dog urine and you have male dogs, I would bring out snitch she was fixed but mm-hmm. i would bring her out during obedience training when the guys were doing group obedience with the patrol dogs mm-hmm. and all those male patrol dogs even though she was she was spayed mm-hmm. like hey what's up girl mm-hmm. hey and yep. they would just lose their minds yeah totally and if you're not training for that um but not only training for the dog to do things but training the handler to uh, get, get out of the box and it was something that uh, you did but on a search you were telling me about it was you set up a problem and this is a bite scenario, but you can absolutely do it with mm. a detection scenario. It was a bite scenario where the decoy was in a room and there was a dog in a crate that yeah, was blocking I did that the door. In, in, yeah, I did that in Colorado. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, you're an a-hole for setting that up. <laughs> but it really does make you think it, a couple couple things. The a, OODA loop was disrupted a little right, bit. Right, but a couple of times is, A, you don't have to use the dog for everything. Mm-hmm. And B... Set it up so you can use the dog. And I'm kind of sitting to listen to you, and I'm going, okay, well, what, what, what happened? Mm-hmm. And you explained that the you, the smart guys had mm-hmm. sent a team up, yep. owned that territory, yep. moved the crate, yep. and now we can deploy the dog. Uh-huh. Well, it's the same thing with, like, distractions of cats and anything else, like, you know, Kitty Almond Roca. You know, <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a, a, a detection lab finding... Yeah cat poop because uh-huh. you know that's like there that's bonus yeah oh yeah so setting up training scenarios to make them hard to make them really yes. hard because training should be harder than the real life deployment if we can get i'll our... give you the applause for that one. Oh wow there you go some right. applause because that's a great point but if we can send uh, set our dogs up to be training at such a high level those just, that those distractions really don't mean anything to them, but the problem that we have with it is is not enough time. Yeah, because we all train for, or at least we should be training for the four, the standard mm-hmm. sixteen hours a month. Yeah, and we don't have a whole lot of guidance on uh, um, sixteen hours a month. Is it sixteen hours a month per specialty? Uh, is it you know? Uh, yeah. I was ve- I was yeah. very fortunate. Uh, the PD was good to me. They when I had the dual purpose dog, they said nope. You're four hours of patrol, four hours of narcotics. That's how we want it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, Riverside SO mm-hmm. they train ten hours a week. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's going above and beyond. Oh, absolutely. And I would imp- uh, I would ask everybody do more than what is required of you. Don't sure. be a minimalist. Yeah. Do more. Put than what in is, work. Put in if. You're going to regret it that you didn't when you really need that dog to work. Mm-hmm. You're going to regret And then for maybe for a month, you're going to go out and train how you should. Yeah. And then you're going to start slacking off. Mm-hmm. And then everything's going to diminish because it's all perishable skill. Yep. So everything's going to start getting worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, that, that, that's going to happen again. 
and you realize that your training is lacking and now you got to bring the dog up. So hold that, hold yourself up mm-hmm. to above certification standards. Mm-hmm. Again, that is the minimum of which we operate. That is not the gold standard. That is not, that is the, the lowest of operational condition. That's where you go. Yes. It's like yeah, going to preach. the police academy. It's like going to the police academy and getting done with, with, with uh, training and you're out on your own. And the coolest thing about being out on your own is when you go down the street, the wrong, you know, the wrong street, nobody's yelling, <laughs> nobody's, at you, yelling exactly. nobody's screaming and yelling at what, you. What intersection are we at? I don't God know. Damn, go get back. Out, look. Yeah. No, get out of the car and walk. Because uh-huh. when I was in training, we had the still had back seats. Yeah. And I had to take the back seat, put it over my head, and run down to the end of the street corner, look at the street sign, and run back. Of course, you can't do that now. That's called a hazing. That's not fair. You're well, I did, I, did, I did cry. Yeah. I, did have a, I did have a good cry. I can see it. I, I'd have tissues for you, though. <laughs> but when it comes to training, you're now a canine handler. Yeah. You've done training. Do more so that you gain that expertise. Do more. You know, I wanted to know what a KMPV dog was trained to do. So I went on to Ed Frawley's website and got a Learberg video. Man, on. same here. I used to tear that place up. Well, getting, dude, I have like so many of his videos. But he was, you gotta figure, dude was smart by getting out there and getting the videos, you the KMPV dogs, before the inter, internet was even a thing. Yep. And being able to see what my dog was trained to do. So no matter what your dog is trained to do, if it's a sport dog, watch that sport so that you know, okay, the article, the uh, the bullet casing for the uh, with KMPV dogs, where they take the handler would take their hand down on the ground and kind of shake it a little mm-hmm. bit. Zook, you're, yep. like, I didn't know it. Now I'm like, oh, that's that's why he does uh-huh. that. Yep. So if you do have a dual purpose dog, understand what they do. If they're an article search dog, mm-hmm. uh, understanding that if he's a KMPV dog, he probably will try to find bullet casings because that's what he's sure. got, what he's been imprinted on in his training. There's a high likelihood of that. Mm-hmm. Are you are you training on that? Are do you do you know? Is that documented? What's the reason behind? Yeah, right. What 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 exact? Well, why was it done? Yep. Is it a a, a a to pick up the bullet casing and bring it back to you, or are they are they down? Yeah. Yep. And can the picking up of the bullet casing lead to problems in detection work mm-hmm. because dogs have a hard time separating? Well, I was able to pick that up. Why can't I pick this yep. up? Yep. We don't want them picking up things. Mm-hmm. No. Especially these days. <laughs> no, well, I would also say um, not only know uh, um, your basic stuff, but really get some advanced stuff when it co- training for canine first aid. Mm-hmm. There is nothing worse than uh, needing it and, and forgetting it. Yeah. And I, it, I got a good uh, podcast I did with a uh, um, canine medic, you know, Joanne Brenner. And, um, yeah, we we covered like the like choking and ingestion and all those kind of things. Well, so those we, are... when uh, I was a tennis ball guy for a long time, mm-hmm. I still am. Um, yep. But all my tennis balls have ropes on them. Yes, exactly. Because you know, uh, I've been there, I, I, know, I had a dog choking well, on a right, ball, you, you, but it was one of the chuck it balls. Yep, that was me. That was at GSP. Yep, correct. And I got to thinking to myself, I'm like, well, how the hell? would I get it out? Mm-hmm. And now there's some cool videos that are going around yeah. on social media about actually, yeah. you know, how, how to trim on the back and yeah, use your thumbs and, and, and push and it out, push it out yep. which is pretty cool. Oh yeah. But go out and get that more advanced stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, does your jurisdiction yep. allow for an ambulance to take your dog? Yep. No, I know like spikes canine fund is another one. They've been doing it. Uh, dust off. There's a number of really good resources out there that are there to help you teach. Do you have a, stuff. do you have a trauma kit? In yeah. Your an car? OD kit. Yeah. You know, well, now, that should now, be part of it. Yeah, now with fentanyl, now you have to have Narcan. And the cool thing about the fentanyl stuff is is that 
it's kind of like our bulletproof vest. The manufacturer puts an expiration date on it, but really, yeah, you know, but really, uh-huh. so every year when the new Narcan comes out for yeah. the patrol guys, I had a box. I was yeah. like, hey, I would, and, and all I had to do was say, it's for the dogs. And they would go, take them, take mm-hmm. as many as you want. I had, I, I'm not kidding you. I probably had 10 or 15 in my car. Mm-hmm. Thank God I never had to use it, mm-hmm. you know, but it's better to have it and not want it than want it and not have it. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm going to hit you with this now before we wrap it up. Since we're already rocking the boat, right? you've had ex- <laughs> you've had extensive experience with numerous fines and interdiction right. on the road, search warrants, etc. There's a thought process uh, that has been prevalent for many years in detection. When it comes to real searches, you should never reward on real searches because you don't know what's there. Or you should not reward on real searches until you confirm. Let's have a conversation about that. 20 years ago, Pete? <laughs> yeah, let's start. We'll start with, yeah, no, that's actually a great point. Start with what you, what you, you, because you're, I by was, relaying, you were taught the same stuff. Right. And then explain how you got to where you're so, at now. Um, I was taught this of, no, never reward in the field. Never reward in the field. Oh, okay. Never, never do that. And then, uh, because you don't know what the, what the dog is picking up. What are they, are they alerting to? You might've just paid him for cigarettes. Right. Or you might've paid him for the bounce sheet that yeah. was wrapped in it. Okay. That right there tells me there's a problem with the training protocols. Cause I'm not doing proofing right. or novel odor training. I should address these things before him, but go on. But as, as I progressed in my training, in my detection uh, field, I had a lot of great mentors. One of them, Andy Wyman. Mm-hmm. Yep, and absolutely. one of the things that Andy said that hit with me, and I think you uh, said something close or similar to, which was, if I'm willing to violate somebody's Fourth Amendment rights over what my dog did, why would I not reward them in the field for that? Do If I, if I quote... Trust my dog, or for me, know my dog. Why am I not going to reward them? If my training protocols are there, my proofing, whatever you find, and it's wrapped in, a, a, if your dope is wrapped up in um, carbon paper, which is what I think the most hilarious <laughs> things that you, the, the myths that the smugglers use on each mm-hmm. other, the, oh, they can't see it on the x-ray machine, and it blocks oh, yeah. the odor of the dog. You know, you, it, it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. But you would see these guys like you would. We'd hear them on the wiretaps talking about having the carbon paper. But that is your next proofing thing. Yeah. Whatever you have found wrapped up, Should but it also has to yep. be um, along with that. Now you just can't go. Okay, I'm gonna only proof off. Uh, I'm only gonna do my search with bounce sheets here this here no you got to make it as realistic as mm-hmm. it possibly was mm-hmm. now if you didn't pay them for the bounce sheets mm-hmm. but now it's there's a mixture you still it was a dog wrong no the dog didn't alert over here on the bounce sheets but it found the target odor that was there with the bounce sheets absolutely the dog is not wrong so 20 years ago pete no don't pay in the field pete now absolutely yeah if i'm willing to go in there and violate somebody's fourth amendment rights and it I, and I, I don't like using the term violate, yeah. risk a potential of violation um, based on whatever the case law is. Mm-hmm. If I'm willing to apply for a search warrant or in, uh, using a fleeting target exception to the rule, if I'm willing to do that, shouldn't I have enough faith in that 
trained final response to reward the dog and believe that my dog is correct. Now, am I going to give them the highest value? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Because it rewards. depends. Yeah, I was going to say, it depends on what my variable reward system is. I liked using, it was a cool thing about Cooper, the last dog I had, yep. was he liked food just as much as he liked a toy. That was, I, I guess it goes right down the leash. He was a foodie. <laughs> I'm a foodie. But with Cooper, it was great because I could use praise. I could use um, a little bit of a, a, a treat. Or I could give him his ball. With him, that variable reward system, and I saw... So much improvement in his desire to work. When believe the it, was, expectation of reward has higher value than absolutely the reward it does. And it's one of those. Uh, um, I was reading the book um, "Don't Shoot the Dog," mm-hmm. and it had the, the the way that this scenario was explained was it had nothing to do with dogs. It was about domestic violence relationships and variable reward, where the the victim is hoping that that circle is going to come back and they're going to be back in that honeymoon phase. They're hoping for that, but the the reward there might be small one where they got flowers or whatever, and then it goes right back into that big circle, and then here we go. But that's honestly, when I looked at it, I'm like, oh my god, that is a variable reward system. Yep, it's you know a crime, domestic violence is not a good thing, but that's a good example of relating it to a human being for people to understand that variable reward system, mm-hmm. and then jackpot rewards. Absolutely. You know, and understanding what the concept of a jackpot reward is. I see this on the sports side where I watch people um, do a, quote, jackpot reward. and But in my, my opinion, all they're doing is teaching the dog to follow their hand from the treat pouch to where they think source is. Yeah. I would rather have them give the, the dog four or five treats and have a dance party and engage them. Yeah, and- I was going to say because, you know, I see that frequently on the, on the sports side of things where they feel they have to walk up and give them their treat at the source. Even though, let's say they did marked, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever they did. Then they walk up and give the the food, you know, at the spot where the hide's at or the, the training aid's at. The dog, when you've already done, is already really, the, the dopamine's released. Right. You're just doing this. And if we had the MRI scan, let's say, showing this, the dog's pleasure center is already done with it. it. Has nothing to do with odor anymore. That part was done the minute you came walking up. They know it's about the reward now. They're not making the association that you're paying them at odor. I promise you, we can show you over and over again. It makes you feel better. But that's how I was trained. I, I know. Back to that again. That's how I was trained. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that is literally the answer that I get. I will say, well, why did you do that? And again, I get the. That's how I was trained. I understand the concept behind it, but again, we'll kind of circling back to what are you really training the dog to do? If your trained final response, and I'll use the uh, uh, the sport dog side, if your trained final response is to have the dog turn and look at you to let you know that they're at their target odor and they're at source, there's nothing wrong with that. That's their trained final response. That's fine. Yep. But call it what it is. We've marked it. And every, I think every sport person will tell you that when they say the word alert, it is a marker. Mm-hmm. It morphs into mm-hmm. it. It just happens. It, happens yep. it just happens. But when they say that they don't train for a, a, a they don't have a trained final response. No, you do. If mm-hmm. you understand, if you understand what your training, yeah, the, dog, basic dog behavior one-on-one. Yeah. No, and I'm walking into the sport world here a little bit. The, the other part that kind of muddies the waters uh, but i do love them yeah no i, I, abs- I have them all here right now you yeah. you and a couple other ones that are here um the one of the struggles they go through is that understanding when their dog's on odor because they were training for the speed or for the clock or for these things so they, they keep 
in training, they know where the odor is at. And so the dog shows the slightest change in behavior, they quickly reward. That well, is one of the biggest things that I do a, a lot when I do my critiques mm-hmm. is please let the dog finish. Yep. Just because they sniffed it doesn't mean, and what is, it's actually, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of cold to say that I like it when they start sniffing and I've told them, Hey, please let them finish. And they don't. And they go alert. And I go, Nope. Exactly. But you please let them finish sniffing. Yeah. But then I get those messages from the, uh, some of my students, my clients will say, all I heard the whole time I'm doing this sniff is let the dog finish. Yeah. Let them finish. Well, they, they see videos in, in, in whether it's social media aspects or YouTube, et cetera, of these high, of these high end competitors, I would call them. And there's some good ones, dude. I get it. But those people know their dog really well, but they'll even tell you they've messed up plenty of times of when they go to trial, they will call non odor, you know, they'll call a distractor or what have you. And, but they compete so much that they're able to obtain their titles. Do so for the other person who's watching them, uh, either through social media or what have you and go, Oh, I want to emulate that because that person was super successful. You're not them. And, and your dog, dog is not. exactly yeah, not their dog. dog. Not them. And the other aspect is you're by being confused. If you're confused, imagine what the dog is. Yeah, but you got to love their enthusiasm. Oh, for, there's no doubt about it. So one of the things I try to instill in them is understand, because as a judge myself, when all of a sudden now it's trial day and they don't know the information, they don't know where it's at, and that dog kind of lingers on something smelling it, it's just interesting. They're so quick to call because they've been so used to that. And then as a judge, you go, no, and now they're done or they're, they're definitely lost the points. Then the dog goes to the owner and does something similar, but not exactly the same. Now they don't believe it. Right. So it, well, cause you, know, you got to let the, you got to let the process finish. Exactly. But there's the time. I don't want to, would you buy a Van Gogh that wasn't signed? <laughs> I think the artist's signature adds a lot of value. Yeah. Let the train final response be the signature. Yeah. Let it happen. The more often you let that happen, the faster the dog goes, okay, I got to process this. Absolutely. And I need to do this. Oh, I know this routine. This is, this is what I have to do to get paid and they'll do it a lot lot faster, but it comes with time. And my God, would you have some freaking patience? Well, what? Yeah, no, I was gonna say one of the great things that I just had uh, Georgie Armstrong on and we did the podcast about DDT. And one of the most important parts about DDT is allowing the dog and the handler to go to alert because it's your, your search is timed. Like you have five minutes to do the search, but your points aren't based on how fast you do it. I, I can understand that. Yeah. And, and, and that is super helpful because the, even as a judge, let's just say the handler calls the alert and you can acknowledge. Yep. And that for whatever reason, the dog happened to move or whatever, you can allow them to the dog go to the final response or do whatever it's trained to do. And then they can reward. So it allows them to still keep matching what they did in training in trial. Shouldn't you, like, I'll use a, a, a law enforcement euphemism, Go which ahead. is train like you fight, fight yes, like you train. Exactly. So why don't you train like you trial, yeah. trial like you train. Exactly. But set the bar very high. Uh-huh. And I can't remember what Greek philosopher it was that said people don't rise to the occasion, they fall to their highest uh-huh. level of training. And that is so true with a team. Same with, with animals. Whatever the, the highest thing that they've trained that they're comfortable and solid mm-hmm. with is what they're going to go to. Mm-hmm. That's going to be their fallback. Yep. That's where they're at. That's why we have to train at a higher level. Let's say if you're at a level one whatever, um, why aren't you training at a higher two? 
mm-hmm. make your training more challenging. And that goes mm-hmm. for the street side too. But being the patrol, you know, the uh, professional side, mm-hmm. why not set your training up to be extremely challenging? Mm-hmm. I, w- I learned so much more going, God, that was a shitty day of training. Wow, I need to work on this. I need to work on just whatever. But it's supposed to expose those weaknesses. And getting with the, the sport folks and letting them f- have that, okay, now I need you to let your dog finish. There is no difference between a dog turning back and looking at you, a dog whose focus stare, who's got their nose right on it. A train final response is a train final response. There's just many different ways of doing Whatever it. Whatever it is you train. Whatever it is that you wanted. Um, I wanted Cooper to have a sit because I wanted the video to be very clear. I was anticipating going to court on uh, with video and – I wanted it to be very clear that that was not going to be a problem. Um, but you also knew that that wasn't a re- full requirement. No, not at all. Exactly. It's not. Yeah. Uh, um, but if he was able to do it, I wanted it. There was a, a, a social media posting on um, regarding a case from Canada that that yeah. whoever posted it wanted it was like, okay, well, you know, their dogs are required to have a trained final response. I'm like, well, yeah, in Canada. Our little brother, and I'm not going to indicate. No, no, yeah, and, and the, I know the point was this could happen here, and it's true. But these, there's enough case law right now that states a readable alert by the handler. Right. Um, that 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 is current, of course, turned into a demonstrative change you know, in behavior. behavior, and that basically a layman, i.e., judge and jury, could watch this video and know something happened there. Which is why we said the sit is nice, but it's not required. Nope. And and, I, and the point I know that post was making uh, was about the fact that. If you said, it, your, what is your trained final response? It's a sit. And those times where it didn't happen, in this case, it didn't happen because the curb was in the way right. or what have you. I think it was a girder. Or something yeah, something like that. It, that the dog didn't do his trained. And that was their, their, their crux of the argument they made. But the problem is they painted themselves into that corner. You know, there's, I don't know of a certification that states the dogs must sit. To be called. No, it doesn't. No, exactly. The, the, so, which is why, like you said a second ago, I want a sit, but it's not required for me to know my dog's final response is going to be these behaviors. If you look at it, if you do a, if you do a, we'll call it a nose work trial, if you go and do a nose work trial and there's 35 dogs, you are going to see probably 35 different trained final responses. You're going to see some sits. You're going to see... Uh, you can see that in some police dog certifications. Oh, yeah, too. I know. But, hey, as long as the handler knows. I mean, like right. I always say, it's like a certifying official. As long as they can call it, that's what matters that's to what me. That's what has to happen. We have to be able to say, did I did I see it? Did, was there a demonstrative change? Did I see it? Is it where I believe that odor could be at? Yes. Is the dog behaving as expected? Yes. Is the handler able to recognize it and call it? Yes or no. It's yep. all yes or no. Yep. It's not a, a kind of... I think there's interest over here, but uh, or, or, or hold on, one. alert. Yeah. Oh no, uh, alert. <laughs> no, we make statements. We don't ask questions. Uh, well, there's only well, one question mark at the end of that alert statement. <laughs> but if you have the um, one, like where is it? That's that's equal to a show me. Well, where is it? Don't ask your dog a question. Tell him to go do stuff. Go find it. Yep. Oh, uh, that. Yeah. No. Well, 
this this is always a blast doing these with you. I know we're going to do another one at some point here. It's always fun, dude. We, we need to do another webinar. Actually, and this is just throwing out ideas, you know, for, for listeners that are uh, on this right now. Uh, maybe doing a webinar focusing on indication alert. Sure. You know, there's a lot of them out there, well, but let's it, talk about, you know, we could come up with some It was one of the cool things, things though, is it, it was actually, if your dog already has some sort of trained final response, doing a, a cleaning it up, is so easy to do. Yes. But you just have to spend the time to do it and be consistent. I always say this is back to that whole fundamentals and foundations and plan no. thing. What? Yeah, I know. Shocking that if we can go work on these things, these things aren't so much of a problem but when we my, do big. We're above I that. I want to do the cool stuff. Uh, we're above the foundations. I wanna, yeah, I want to do the. I already yeah. did that seminar once. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So last time I went and qualified. I already did it once. I shouldn't have to go qualify. I went to, or, the, I, I went to the range when I qualified when I was a cop. I was in the police academy, yeah. so I should be able to do it. No, it's a perishable yeah. skill, mm-hmm. and it needs to be in I don't need defensive tactics. <laughs> Foundation. roll around the ground and have fun. <laughs> I watched UFC. I know what I'm exact, doing. Exactly. Man, Conor McGregor, I've got those moves down. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm a hugger, not a, not a fighter. Yeah, let's, let's de-escalate. <laughs> De-escalation works yeah, when the other yeah. party wants to be de-escalated. Yeah. It's just like the we've rocked a boat in this episode. Yep. Here we are. So, Poking okay. the bear. And so, how do people find you? What do you have coming up? What's new in Pete's retirement world? Uh, uh, Pete's retirement world has, I took a, about a six-month hiatus to really realize to uh, that I'm no longer a cop. Uh, which is actually kind of cool. I realized that not everybody's trying to kill me. Yeah, um, It's amazing what your stress level does when you get out, of, especially in this day and age. And for those guys and gals that are out there standing in that line, uh, I pray for you every day. Yep. Uh, you're out there really putting up with some stuff. I'm hoping the pendulum swings. Yep. I think it will. The cops today are the Vietnam veterans of exactly. the 70s. And, you know, guys, keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. You know, uh, um, keep the integrity up. Uh, uh, hold the line, know why you're out there. It will get better. It will get better, but you will, you know, what you're doing is honorable. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, blessed are the peacekeepers for, you know, and it's stay, stay focused on it. So what Pete's doing now that he's realized that he's no longer a cop, um, I took that little hiatus, but I started getting contacted by a lot of people saying, hey, when are you going to start training again? We want to get back into it. I honestly, I enjoyed it. I enjoy it a lot. So I do have a, um, I have a nose work seminar. We're doing a live coaching event. People seem to love the live coaching uh, where we basically uh, get to, it's like choose your own adventure. I'm going to be doing that with uh, Eric Odin, who is from uh, AEP Services and Centurion Canine in Fontana, California. That's on um, the first week of February. That's on my website, which is The Sensible Canine. And yeah, I, I know you're smiling. You spell it. No, I'll spell it. T-H-E-S-C-E-N-T-S-A-B-L-E, letter K, number nine. A little inside joke. The very first podcast, I had been drinking. and Oh, Cameron, that's excuse. Okay, it, go on. I was. Okay. You no, were drunk on my podcast is what you're telling me? Not. There's many levels. I was, <laughs> I enough of a level you could not spell your well, own was, website. It was hard. So, yeah, you can reach me there or uh, Pete at the Sensible Canine's email. Um, you can just Google it or I prefer DuckDuckGo, but hey, a <laughs> little plug for them. But I have that seminar coming up. I've been do- I'm doing a lot of human remains. Uh, I've been yeah. able to get a, a lot of uh, – I've got some really good search areas. I've brought on a couple of instructors that um, work with me 
Um, both of them have extensive experiences in, uh, one of them has extensive experience in narcotics, mm-hmm. um, did a lot more interdiction than I did, I'll tell you that right now. And then another uh, instructor that I brought on, she's got a background in human remains and, and search and rescue. Nice. So it's kind of a, a different thing. And obviously, um, love to do some more stuff with yeah. you. Uh, but that's what I have right now. I don't think I have um, anything... I have to, would have to look at my calendar, sure, but I don't yeah. have anything off the top of my head. It's on, well, you, know, you said it's on the website. It's on the website. I, I get those out pretty quick. Um, if you want to, you can sign up for emails. I get uh, When I do my classes, and thank you for all those people out there that do support me, um, they go quick. I'll put out an email. Hey, filling out five spots email. goes quick. It, <laughs> <laughs> it does go fast. And um, now that I'm here doing the... Uh, Cognition instructors. I course. was just going to say, now you get to do the cognition. Well, that's for definitely people. that's hopefully going to be something that I will add to part of my whole process um, because I think based on what I'm I've learning, what I had seen when I took it myself, and when I had you come out and, and actually host it, uh, hosted it for you, um, it should be a game changer for you. Yep. And the reason I say that for the handlers is that you're going to understand you're going to know you do, your dog. That's the whole thing, you know, you know, know your dog. And, and the, uh, I'll give this to you, and I'll use this as a teaser, I guess. You are, in the first class, going through the puppy cognition. Oh, yeah. And everybody loves puppies. Uh-huh. But just on the little bit I've learned, so, I mean, as I, I learned a lot. Just in the one day so far today, yeah. So far, but it's been, dude, it's been mind-blowing. It's really, it was cool doing it, but now looking at it from, okay, now I've got to teach people to do this, it's a whole different world. So that will be coming up probably, uh, I want to get some reps under my belt, mm-hmm. so we're probably looking around March-ish or so. Um, I'll definitely be doing another Human Remains uh, seminar up in uh, Temecula, which doesn't suck because nope. it's right across the street from a winery, uh-uh. so when we shut down for the night... You um, can go drink and forget how to do your website it, again. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was a little... <laughs> but uh, so that's what I got going on right now. So just pay attention to the website or get on... I also, I'm all over social media. Yep. Uh, so uh, P.A. Stevens uh, has a little picture of Walter. Um, I was going to say, the my world is called into Walter. Uh, well, Walter's on Instagram, but Walter I don't mix, so uh, Walter just has his own Instagram page. That's my dachshund, the world according to Walter. And you notice how Walter has more likes than you do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's kind of sad, <laughs> but I get it. I get it. There's, there's way more adventures of Walter than there is of Pete. There is. I'm not. Yeah. I don't have the slimming. Just be humbled by the dog. I don't have the slimming feature on my phone yet. I'm still trying to find that software. Where's that filter at? I need it too. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Dude, I appreciate you having me on. No, man. Thank you very much for, for being here and sharing your words of wisdom. Uh, you and I always have fun doing these these podcasts. I do and, have one other word of wisdom. Oh, go ahead, please. Leave the unit better than you found it. Oh, there you when go. When you are a canine handler, do everything you can to, if you have to do fundraising, whatever, but leave the unit better than you found it. Don't make it just a stepping stone. If you are a former handler and you get up into admin or a supervisory role, please remember where you came from. Back your guys up. I will be honest, I had great supervisors who were, uh, some were former handlers, some were not. But if you have that supervision backing you up, that's a game changer. So uh, don't forget where you came from if you move up, but leave the unit better than you found it. Make it, bring it forward. What, ask yourself when you get done, what did I do to make it better? Mm-hmm. Yep, no, I totally agree. Thank you very much for the time and all the great information. Give you a little more applause there. Thank you, Pete. And as usual, everybody, 
Thank you for tuning in and listening to Canines Talking Sense, where it's okay to be nosy.